1: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text
2: is brought to you by Prose. Caspar, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
3: It looks so good.
2: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature. And I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my <laughs> hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
3: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash harrypotter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash harrypotter. That's p-r-o-s-e dot com slash harrypotter. Chapter 2. In Memoriam. Harry was bleeding, clutching his right hand in his left, and swearing under his breath, he shouldered open his bedroom door. I'm Caspar Terkyle.
2: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
3: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
2: Before we get started today, we have several patrons to shout out, and they are Ernie. Hathaway. Sophie.
3: Yazabowski.
2: Lily Rose. Beardshaw. Shera. Shira. Engel and Katie
3: Palmer. We're so, so grateful for you and every single patron who sustains the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And hello to the amazing local group in Detroit, Michigan, the Motown Marauders. Fabulous name, everyone, led by Lauren Lang. So if you're in Detroit, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low that'll keep you from joining the fabulous Motown Marauders. You can find all their details when and where they meet on Pottersacredtext.com. Vanessa, it's your turn to tell us a story. What have you got for us today?
2: So my partner, Peter, has two beautiful children who I am completely in love with, and he has a shared custody agreement for the kids with his ex-wife. And part of the custody agreement is that for summer break, they go and they spend, you know, like six weeks with their mom in France and the town where she is from. And then we drive from Germany to France to pick the kids up and bring them to Germany to hang out with us for a couple of weeks. And it's so fun. It's really just like my favorite part of the year. Well, last year I flew into Frankfurt on a red eye and then Peter picked me up straight from the airport and we just immediately started driving to France. And it's about a 10 hour drive from Frankfurt to where we had to go. And then woke up the following morning to meet the kids and the kids were going to arrive in like half an hour. And I was really jet lagged. You know, I'd been up since like three in the morning, sort of confused and hazy. And I was excited to see the kids because I hadn't seen them in a really long time. So we were waiting and, you know, we still had probably like 20 minutes until the kids were coming. So I went, I ran into the hotel to go to the bathroom and I came back out and they had arrived early and I was just like, oh my God, they're here. And I was so happy to see them. And they like each ran into my arms, which is always just so satisfying. And I'm like jet lagged and on a high and I just go up to Peter's ex-wife and I give her a big hug and then I... And, like, holding her, and I'm like, this is weird that I'm doing this. This is really weird that I'm doing this. We have never hugged before. We are not at a hugging level in our relationship. Why am I hugging her? And I, like, let go and stepped back, and Peter and both kids and his ex-wife were all, like, looking at me. Like, I have clearly just crossed some unspoken boundary, And today's theme is boldness. And what I was thinking about with boldness is like that was a moment in which from everybody else's perspective, I was quite bold. I broke a social boundary in like a big public way. Whereas I know on an interior basis, I was just like (laughs) exhausted and had like a lot of dopamine. Right. Like this was not me being like. Peter's ex-wife and I are going to get on hugging terms and I'm just going to go for it. It was just like an incident that accidentally happened. That is something that really strikes me about boldness is that you can be bold unintentionally. Hmm. Boldness is a very cultural idea. Like it can just be stupid. It can just be any number of other things. And so I'm I'm interested in trying to discern exactly what boldness is i'm worried it's one of those things that we only know it when we see it but we like can't quite define it
3: oh that's so interesting because much of this chapter is really someone else telling stories about the past or about someone else right like a lot of this is in rita skeeter's word or a doge's words So I love that idea that like boldness is kind of placed onto actions rather than necessarily within them, or at least it's a question of which one is true. Because sometimes, as you said, it's just this like instinctual thing and you do it because you're tired or it just happens. That's really interesting.
2: Well, before we get into that really interesting conversation, (laughs) Casper, are you ready to boldly go where no man has gone before and attempt... To recap chapter two, book seven in 30 seconds or less.
3: Yes, bring it on.
2: On your mark, get set, go
3: so this chapter is really all about harry harry is at the dursleys and um he's unpacking his trunk for the first time in forever because he didn't clean it um and he cuts himself and then he like walks outside but he stands on a cup of tea which is like maybe a booby trap and then um he goes back and he's like Argh! um and he can't do magic obviously and so he just starts reading the newspaper um and it turns out there's this beautiful letter from a fire like remembering um dumbledore and then he starts reading an interview with rita skeeter who's written an expose about dumbledore and all these ostensibly dark secrets and like bad things about him uh, and that's Sit. you're a star <laughs> uh okay vanessa you'll go 30 seconds on the clock here we go three two one Go.
2: So I actually disagree with Casper. I think that this chapter is all about Dumbledore. And it's about <gasps> the different ways that we, that Dumbledore has been perceived in his life. He's been perceived by Harry, by Elias Doge, and now he is going to be perceived by Rita Skeeter. And she even says in the chapter, I think I'm going to be the first of hundreds of biographies that are going to be about Dumbledore. And so really, it's a Hamilton tome and it's who lives, who dies, who tells our story. But <laughs> in the form of a chapter through the eyes of Harry Potter.
3: Love it. Yes. Would it be enough? Let me tell you about the orphanage.
2: Exactly. That's always the part that makes me cry. (laughs) Have I done enough? Kills me. So, Casper, I'm wondering if I can just tell you right where I was confronted with my confusion on boldness. So something that Harry is really struggling with in this chapter is this feeling of... I never really knew Dumbledore. Yeah. I thought I knew him, and I didn't. And is sort of crushed by that idea, and is crushed by the idea that, you know, he should have asked more questions. And he's doing, I think, some important justifying and meaning-making when he's like, the one time I asked Dumbledore a personal question, I think he was probably lying, right? And that it would have been impertinent of him to ask those questions, but where I saw boldness was that he ever thought he knew Dumbledore. And I think that that is just the boldness of youth. I mean, I remember it blowing my mind when my mom sort of said to me once, like, well, when I was your age. And I'm like, right, you were seven <laughs> once. <Yeah. laughs> like, right, right. My mom and dad were married for like eight years before they had kids. What did they do with their time?
3: <laughs> well, I think this is so true. Like, I remember when my mom said to me, I was older. I must have been like a good 16 or 17. My mom was like, you know, I'm not just mom. I'm also Suzanne, you know, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like there's this whole other side. And I feel like that's it's not that Harry doesn't know Dumbledore. He only knows a Dumbledore rather than like the whole Dumbledore, right? Because like being this like stoic headmaster, wise teacher, amazingly powerful wizard, that's all true, but it's not complete. So yeah, I I definitely agree with you that it's revealing Harry's limitations of his knowledge of Dumbledore. I think it's worth paying attention to that question that you point out, like in book one, when he asks Dumbledore, what do you see in the Mirror of Erised? Because I wonder if Dumbledore had shared something more in that moment, whether Harry's boldness of asking questions like that would have continued, but because it was kind of shut down, his his boldness was also shut down. Like he realized that was a line, and we weren't going to cross it. And so he was like, okay, i'll I'll stick to I'll stick to this,
2: sure. I mean, we'll really never know, but like maybe Tumbledore was telling the truth. Maybe he's like such a deeply at peace person. That he's like, all I see is, like, coziness. Like, all I long for is to, like, be warm and have dry feet. I I guess I sort of long to be the kind of elderly person that would look in the mirror of arsed and, like, see an armchair and a fire and be like, that's really all I want is to, like, be comfortable and warm.
3: Yeah. I'm thinking about a conversation with one of my very favorite people in the world, a a sister of St. Joseph. So she's a Catholic nun. Her name is Sue Mostella, and she's in her late 80s now. And she always says, like, yes, you get older and wiser, and everything's still the same. (laughs) So just that sense of, like, you still have wants and desires and frustrations and, you know, petty arguments. Like, that. that's still all there. So I guess my conviction comes from that sense that yes you grow and develop and you know we're still very human and so easily tempted by by desires that we can't fulfill probably both are true
2: i mean i guess regardless of whether or not dumbledore is telling harry the truth harry certainly felt shut down in that moment right which might have been what truncated his asking of questions boldly and trying to get to know dumbledore on a more personal level
3: there is something here that relates to your story, Vanessa, that idea that boldness is cultural, because I do—I think there's definitely moments I've had where I do something and then only later do you realize like, oh gosh, that's not how we do it here, <laughs> you know? And so part of me wonders like if Harry in that moment didn't even think it was a bold question, but kind of learned that it was bold by the response that he got from Dumbledore. You know, you, you realize where lines are after you've crossed them in some way.
2: Yeah, which is why I think the boldest move in this chapter that I saw was Dudley assuming that Harry would understand yes. that the teacup was a nice gesture.
3: Yes, that was the first thing I saw too. I was like this is a huge thing, but he's like not explaining it at all.
2: <laughs> and like there's a a microculture of the Dursley house or a family dynamic or whatever you want to call it, and like in our family dynamic Peter's ex-wife and I don't hug. And Mm -hmm. in in the Dursley family dynamic, Dudley does not do nice things for Harry. That is just like not one of the things that happen. And so the fact that Dudley didn't leave a note saying thought you might be thirsty, like smiley face D, to me just shows how privilege can come to play and not understanding what is bold and what isn't. Because Mm. he was always the abuser. He doesn't understand that he has entirely Mm. trained Harry to think that everything in that house is an attack.
3: Mm. I'm also thinking back to the beginning of book six, right? Where we have this really interesting visitation by Dumbledore, who makes the speech to the Dursleys, basically saying like, you've done more violence to your own child than you have to Harry. Like, look at the state of him. I wonder if that was maybe a little bit of a a real wake-up call for Dudley, or at least a sense of like, oh my gosh, I don't feel right about what's happened or, you know, my parents have faults, right? It's that same awakening of like, oh, my parents are human beings, not just my parents. And so starting that individuation process or that sense of like, oh, I actually can make my own choices as well as just follow them. In some interesting ways, maybe this teacup is partly a result of Dumbledore, who of course is so present in, in the rest of the chapter.
2: I especially love that because I do think that this chapter, it's in memoriam, right? It is a bunch of different people's perspectives on Dumbledore. And so I think it's such a beautiful idea that, like, potentially this is also Dudley's memory of Dumbledore and that it changed him. I was just thinking today how, like, little pieces of wisdom or nuggets can become, like, earworms that become real lessons in your life. And the reason I was thinking about it is because I was driving today and I was like very in my head and getting worked up and stressed about things. And then my hands started hurting and I realized that they were hurting because I was gripping the steering wheel really tightly. (laughs) And the reason that I even thought to notice that is because I had this dentist who I was getting a cavity filled or my teeth cleaned or something. And I was holding on very tightly to the arm of the chair. And the dentist laughed and said to me, holding on to the chair tightly doesn't make your teeth hurt less. And it's just one of those like benign things that people say all the time that for some reason has completely stuck in my head. I do not remember who this dentist is. I don't remember anything else, but I probably think about him saying that to me like monthly at least. And so I just wonder if part of what we're seeing in memoriam is the way that like Dumbledore through just like one little comment could have really impacted this kid you never know what it is that's going to just stick with someone.
3: Yeah, I think there's so much about the outlook that Harry has as a young wizard that comes, maybe not directly from Dumbledore, but that's kind of like seeped into the culture of Hogwarts, or at least the teaching staff in in a big way, particularly his attitude to muggles. I was kind of, embarrassed to say that I'd forgotten that Dumbledore has this like muggle-hating father, that that's such a big part of his childhood, the shame on his family that his father is imprisoned and exposed as this like, you know, wizard supremacist. And another place where I really saw boldness in this chapter was Dumbledore's 11-year-old self being very open about the fact that his dad is guilty. It, It just really struck me as this moment of like, embracing the truth, even when it's inconvenient, that felt very bold when you're meeting someone for the first time who, you know, he doesn't know anything about little 11 year old Alphias.
2: Well, it was also really bold of Alphias to be like, Heard your dad's a murderer. True? I know. <laughs> <laughs> And also, wasn't this the beginning of their romantic relationship? Like, aren't they (gasps) in love and in a romantic relationship? What, 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 what? Oh, yeah. And Alfaith says in the obituary, our mutual attraction. (gasps) Right? I feel like there's like this very sweet story of these two 11-year-old boys falling in love because they're like willing to be vulnerable with each other.
3: Yes. Oh, now I have to like queer read this whole thing again.
2: Yeah. And then they went on that whole like year long trip around the world. Just the two of them.
3: Convenient, educational themed love trip.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That was like finally their chance to be like alone and free. Am I making this up? Is this not in the text? Have I gone into like Romance Landia?
3: No, I can. I can totally see that. Oh, I absolutely adore that reading. It also explains this like If it's a first love relationship, right? Like that's a time I think when you are bold, you haven't been hurt before. Your heart hasn't been broken. Like you're willing to just like throw yourself to this other person and caution be damned. And I think part of what makes something bold is when you don't know what's next, but other people do, you know, if you're in love for the first time, like, you don't know how it can end. You don't know what heartbreak feels like. And other people who have been there and have been through that can look at you and be like, ah, oh, you know, because bold has this tinge of stupidity attached to it, right? Like, that, that there's just a little bit which is not well thought through. And sometimes that can be lovable and sometimes it can be frustrating. But I'm just thinking about how, like, maybe you're bold because you just don't know, right? Like, you just don't know what's coming.
2: I think that's right, because I can hear my reaction to if somebody were to say to me, whoa, Vanessa, bold move. Yeah. I can imagine my response as being, was it? Oh, no. I wasn't <laughs> trying to be bold. Was that bold?
3: Why didn't you tell me? Yeah,
2: <laughs> Because I feel like if you know you're being bold, then you're a little bit scared. And it's something else. You're being brave. Right. Or you're being reckless. I think that boldness sort of has ignorance in it
3: Mm.
2: or lack of understanding.
3: I think that's right. Because throughout reading, like we get to see Rita in her full professional journalism, quick quill mastery. And there was nothing bold in anything that I saw in Rita, because for Rita, she knows exactly what she's doing. It's calculated. It's exploitative. I didn't see any boldness in her actions. And it's exactly because there's none of what you've just described. It's very premeditated.
2: I'm extra disappointed in Rita because she's just been exploited by Hermione and knows what it feels like to be held captive by a bad reputation and to feel as though you aren't in control of your own life. I mean, what Hermione did to her was cruel, but I would have hoped that that would have created a better sense of empathy in Rita and like thinking through, oh, what I say about people matters and instead she's just as reckless and horrible as ever
3: yeah turns out just locking people in enclosed spaces and leaving them there does not change anything or make it better
2: (laughs) it's not a victim's responsibility to like take the best possible lesson out of an atrocious act of violence
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
3: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the
2: Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
3: It looks so good.
2: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, prose is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model And so I used the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
3: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Vanessa, there's one thing that really struck me in Elphias Doge's writing, where in very, very near the end of this beautiful obituary that he's written for Dumbledore, he says at the very end, he died as he lived, working always for the greater good. Whoa! You know, that phrase has so much meaning in the Potter universe that it made me wonder... Is this just a turn of phrase that he's using to illustrate, you know, Dumbledore's commitments to, you know, helping people? Or is this a subtle reference for the reader who knows what they're looking for that does acknowledge some of Dumbledore's more challenging history? I, yeah, I'm just so curious if that was like a bold insertion of like, let me show you a little bit of ankle underneath my dress kind of thing. Or or was this just an an unknowing reference? What What do you think?
2: I think that it was something entirely different than either of those options. I think it was like a bold attempt to whitewash what the term greater good meant.
3: Oh, this is like a political move to like undo what that history is.
2: Yeah, like he's like, you all are going to be talking about how Dumbledore and Grindelwald were saying that we should wipe out muggles for the greater good. Well, yes, Dumbledore was always interested in the greater good. And there's a brief period in his life where he got confused as to what that was. But (laughs) this is all part of a piece. Right. And I think that this is an attempt to linguistically dismantle or take some of the air out of the packed punch of this phrase. Like Rita's about to expose all of this. And Alphias is like trying to get ahead of the story in this way.
3: That is so interesting. Oh, I love that.
2: And he's on a mission here, right? With this obituary. I mean, all obituaries are political to a certain extent, depending on who's writing them and how they want the person to be remembered. And Doge is on that crusade. And I think that we see in part his integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Because it took Doge the same amount of time as it took Rita Skeeter to write a whole (laughs) 800-page book. So like we see that he's being much more careful and deliberate with his words and is not willing to just take people down left and right. But he he has a political end and part of it is self-serving, right? He served on the Wizengamot with Dumbledore right. and he wants his Wizengamot to be seen in a certain way. And I think... Even someone's death brings out a lot of, like, jockeying for position and...
3: So, so interesting. And I'm suddenly respecting Alphaeus in a whole new way just for his skills, because the whole narrative of this obituary is very personal one, right? And he ends back with that phrase, he died as he lived, willing to stretch out his hand to a small boy with dragon pox. And so, like, that political message is kind of hidden within this personal story. Like, he is an excellent writer. I would read an 800-page book by him. (laughs)
2: Oh, absolutely. So, Casper, one last point that I would love your help with is I think that I always gave Hermione credit as like she's the packer Hmm. because we see her later being like, oh, I've been packed for days. I'm ready to go for days. But really, Harry is already sort of pre-packing in this chapter, right? He's going through his trunk. Yeah. And he is deciding what to take with him and what not to take with him. I was just thinking that that is to some extent the definition of bold because he's making very decisive choices of what to take and what not to take with him. But he has no idea what he's going to Mm -hmm. and that sometimes our only option is to be bold. We don't know what it is, but we have to do something, so I have to make some bold choices. Mm. And I just thought that there was just such a beautiful metaphor of packing for a trip that you know you have to go on, you know the purpose of, but you don't know anything else about it. That is an invitation for nothing but boldness.
3: Well, and I think it's so Harry, right? Because the alternative to the bold decision-making is not making decisions and not packing and therefore not having anything. And that's what I love so much about Harry is that he does illustrate, listen, it may not be perfect, but it's something. And something often gets you further than nothing. I'm left thinking, Vanessa, just that we've kind of cast boldness as this, that you have incomplete information, right? Like that that it's maybe a little foolish or that, that you're doing it because you don't know better. You don't know what the future holds. But to some extent, this last moment that we've looked at, like Harry with this trunk, the thing that I like about him and that I like about boldness, I guess, is that it's it does move us forward. And sometimes there's no other choice. And boldness can make us do things that we know we're not ready to do, but nonetheless, we still have to try. And so I want to acknowledge that sense of it as well, that it, that it can be a really important force for good.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of boldness is good, but I I do also really like this, how you have framed it, that boldness does to some extent admit in its heart that it is acting on a lack of information or a Mm. lack of total information. And therefore, ironically, it's quite humble, even though it presents as arrogant. It's like sort of throwing caution to the wind and being like, I don't know, (laughs) but I got to go on this trip. And so I'm going to pack this trunk.
3: Let's see what happens.
2: Hopefully I'm bringing the right thing. Right. Boldness seems to me an admission that there's no such thing as the perfect situation. There's no such thing as the perfect moment or the perfect message. And so we might as well just hug our partner's (laughs) ex-wife. Nope. Wrong lesson. Never mind.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs)
2: So, Casper, we get to do marginalia again. Mm. And marginalia in the land of physical distancing means that you tell me something that you have underlined or a comment that you wrote into your book that you were like, huh, I wrote that.
3: Yeah. So mine is from the very last page of the chapter.
2: Mine is, too.
3: What? Oh, so it's just a single word. And it says lies.
2: Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. I'm trying to think about why you would have done that. I love that marginalia basically just gives us an excuse to like armchair pathologize one another. Be like, is that because you tell so many lies or because you love calling out lies? But can you remind me the context of lies?
3: Yeah. So it's right at the very, very end of Harry's reading Skeeter's interview. And it's literally the first word that he says. And the, the full sentence is, lies, Harry bellowed. And through the window, he saw the next door neighbor. So it's this instinctual reaction. And I just love that that image of Harry standing there holding this thing in his hand and being like, lies.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that like what's more offensive to him than Rita dismantling his idea of Dumbledore is that Rita's pretending to know him. Like that's such a gross feeling when someone pretends to have a sense of who you are, or gossips about you in an unfair way. I mean, I remember once a student was mad at me because he kept having parties, even and I kept breaking up his parties. Yeah, and he really just told a vicious lie to my supervisor, and my supervisor did not believe him. She was like, "Okay, what's actually going on here? You obviously did not do this like ridiculous thing." And even though there was going to be like no negative repercussion for me, and in fact, something good was happening, which is that my supervisor became aware of this sort of like toxic right. thing that was happening, I still was like, dude, you're messing with my reputation. Mm-hmm. It just feels so personal and horrible. And so, yeah, I can imagine standing in a window and being like, lie. Guys.
3: Nice. But this is interesting, Vanessa, because as you're telling that story, I'm reminded that, like, that's his whole experience of book five. Like, he's not reading Rita Skeeter's words expecting that she'd be any different. I wonder if this lies is actually to himself to be like, don't believe this. You know the real Dumbledore. Like, it's as much about protecting himself as it is about an anger, about the fact that it's in print. Because surely he knows better by now not to believe everything you read <laughs> in the newspapers.
2: Certainly anything with the Rita Skeeter byline.
3: Right. But I'm curious, what did you choose as your marginalia?
2: So I underlined the whole sentence and then double underlined part of it. So (laughs) the whole sentence is, if anything was certain, it was that the bright blue eyes of Albus Dumbledore would never pierce him again.
3: Ooh, Ooh, that just gave me chills.
2: I know. But the thing I double underlined was, if anything was certain. Hmm. And, you know, we know that actually not quite the bright blue eyes of Albus, but the bright blue eyes of Aberforth are going to not only pierce him again, but save him. And so, I don't know. I I love that he's like trying to really deal with reality. And yet there's actually something somewhat gentler waiting for him.
3: There's something else that really strikes me about choosing that sentence right now and choosing that snippet. So much in our world right now it isn't certain. So many things that we'd expected to always be true or always be dependable have have had to shift because of the pandemic. And so what I like about the sentence, if anything was certain, it it's kind of exposing or revealing How much certainty is there ever? Death and taxes. Well,
2: (laughs) like not even right now,
3: maybe not even right. You may go to a train station with your former mentor and headmaster. So this, yeah, I just really love thinking about the marginalia we choose in this moment as well of how it reflects the world.
2: I picked up my dog from the vet today and the vet tech was like, oh, do you want to make her follow-up appointment? And I was like, sure, for when? Thinking like next week. And then she was like, well, she'll be due for another appointment in October. And I laughed. I was like, who?
3: What is that month? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? And I was like, no, thanks. I'll call in September. I was like, do calendars go that far right now? (laughs) Whereas if you had asked me two months ago, I would have been able to tell you, actually, I'll be out of town on this date in October, but this date in October will be fine. Now I'm just like, that is hysterical. (laughs) Well, thank you for doing marginalia with me, Casper.
3: It's so interesting. I look forward to coming back to these same chapters in the future and then looking back at what I've underlined because we'll probably find totally new meaning in the same little phrases.
1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of
3: potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
4: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: This week's voicemail comes from Jess.
4: Hello, Harry Potter Sacred Text team. My name is Jess, and I am a longtime listener of the podcast. And I just wanted to share a cool story with you about the community of the Harry Potter and Sacred Text community. I uh, knit when I am anxious. I'm not very good at it, but I just recently finished a scarf um, that I had knit myself because I have a lot of anxiety with a lot of um, the coronavirus stuff going on right now. So, um, I didn't really know what to do with the scarf when I was done with it. I live in Florida and so I have no use for it. Also, to me, it kind of resembles all of the anxiety that I've been feeling, especially as a healthcare worker right now. So I didn't really know what to do with it. I posted it on the Harry Potter Sacred Text. Facebook page because it just happens to be Ravenclaw colors. And I asked anyone if anyone would like it. And there was this really sweet girl that reached out and said that she would love it. She lives in Colorado and she um, would trade me a painting because she paints when she's anxious for a scarf that I had knitted for when I was anxious. So, this project of anxiety, um, of processing my anxiety kind of turned into a really cool opportunity to meet another member of the Harry Potter sacred text community and for us to trade um, our own little projects together. So I just thought that was so sweet and I wanted to send a blessing to everyone in this community. I love everything about this community and this podcast and everything that you guys have created. And it just made me feel really special to be a part of something so special during a crazy time. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Stay safe. Jess,
2: you made Casper cry. (laughs) It's so lovely.
3: Oh, God. Uh, Jess, thank you so much for sharing that. And like, how beautiful. I just want to point at this and just say that it's perfect and lovely. <laughs> Jess, that just
2: reminded me of my talus bag. So when you get bar bat mitzvah, you get a prayer shawl, which is called a talit. And because it's a sacred object, you're supposed to keep it in a bag. And mine is handmade by my mother. Hmm. Not because she like had any forethought to make me a talus <laughs> bag, but because when I was eight years old, my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor.
3: Hmm. And so
2: she had all of this time you know, in the ICU to like just sit there. And my mom is an avid, avid reader, but like she just could not focus on reading. And so she hand stitched this beautiful tallest bag for me. And it's just so interesting because it's something I cherish so much. And part of it is like knowing that it took care of her mm. for like a really significant part of her life that just like makes me love it. Well, I, We'll post a picture on social media. It's really beautiful.
3: Oh, I'm so glad you found each other, Jess, and your Colorado friend to to exchange these beautiful anxiety made gifts.
2: And you know, our community just always inspires us. And so, what we have created is a Harry Potter Sacred Text Mutual Aid Society. And so, if you go and join our Facebook Common Room starting on May first, what you are going to see is that we've created a mutual aid fund. And the reason that we've done this is because our community is amazing. And we really think that it is really a community that can support each other through this unprecedented time. And so throughout the month of May, we're going to be alternating updates where we ask first, what are people able to give? Is there $50 that you can give? Can you talk to somebody on the phone for half an hour who might be lonely Or talk to somebody on the phone who's a necessary worker and is putting themselves at risk. Can you draw something for somebody or make them a mask? And so we're going to try to collect all the information from things that people feel that they are able to easily give And then we're going to collect needs from people. And we have amazing volunteers who are going to pair people up and say, you mentioned that you need $200 to help cover your rent this month. And this person said that they have $200 to give or $50 to give. And we're hosting all of this on our Facebook common room. And we know that Facebook is a problematic, imperfect tool. But we think it's useful for an endeavor like this because in our common room, in order to get in, you have to answer a couple of questions about how well you know the podcast. And then also Facebook just takes some of the anonymity and takes some of the security measures for us. So go to our Facebook common room. You can join it now just for this. It's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Common Room to learn more about our mutual aid fund.
3: So Vanessa, with that lovely sense of solidarity in our hearts and minds, let's bless someone from the pages of this Short chapter. Who do you want to bless this week?
2: I'm going to do sort of an echo blessing or a bookends blessing for a charity burbage. Mm. You know, we find out in this chapter that it gets said that she resigned from her position at Hogwarts, which is obviously a lie. She was trying to be this force for like radical goodness in the world and got punished for it and killed for it. And part of this like disinformation campaign is to make it seem as though mm-hmm. something peaceful happened. And obviously on, on somewhat of a smaller scale, but a lot of women have been forced out of jobs and had to sign NDAs and people mm-hmm. get to say whatever they want when they leave. And a lot of people have had to leave jobs under circumstances that were not up to them. And so I wanna offer a blessing to anyone who felt as though they didn't get to tell their own story. What about you, Casper?
3: Okay, so I I did have to laugh a lot reading how skillfully Rita Skeeter keeps saying like, but you'll have to buy my book to get the whole story. And I was like, you go, sis, like you sell that book. You know, obviously I'm I'm in the midst of launching a book and, you know, you want to share it and then you want to shut up about it because it's so annoying. But she is just ferocious so you know hashtag power of ritual you can order your copy now (laughs) Um, but anyone who has has a book out i feel you rita feels you will be okay
2: (laughs) or rita doesn't feel you
3: that's true rita doesn't care about anyone but herself but nonetheless a little blessing for her (laughs)
2: For anyone who is counting on this time to launch a project, right? Right. A wedding, a
3: A birth of your
2: child, a play, like anything. This is just horrible timing. A good friend of mine had a restaurant that was supposed to open next month. It's just horrible. So a blessing to all of you and buy Casper's book, (laughs) PowerVirtual.org.
3: You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Special shout out to Maggie Needham's amazing social media skills at the moment. And if you don't have a local group near you, join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about this in every episode. You're also welcome to come and support us on Patreon, or leave us a review on iTunes, or send us a voicemail.
2: Next week, we'll be reading chapter three, The Dursleys, through the theme of growth. This was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is The Minor Deity, Ariana Nettleman, and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paizau and Nick Boll, and we are distributed by Acast. We would like to thank Jess for this week's voicemail for making Casper cry, which proves that he does have a heart. <laughs> Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks so much, everyone, and we will talk to you next week.
3: Bye, friends.
2: Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me call me.
3: <laughs> well we've got this week's blooper. Um <laughs>